Hello, teachers out there. I know this is the craziest time of year, and the fact that Amber and I are finding time to squeeze this in is pretty awesome and incredible just because I am whipped, just like every teacher that I talk to when I go to a school. But today we want to think about sold a story. We have to, right, Amber? We have to talk about it because it's out there and it's important for us to share our opinions because we're sharing opinions with teachers constantly. We're trying to help them move this work and teachers are having feelings. Yes. And you know, if you are someone that listens to us regularly, you've probably have stopped us in the hallway and asked us our opinion on it already. So it's something that people have been asking about and waiting for. And we really wanted to hear the whole thing, I think, before we started really, you know, digging into it. But um, I know in my opinion, and I, I just know this is your opinion as well. It's very interesting how our conversations have changed from the first episode till the sixth episode. And so it's, we really need to take in the whole thing before we addressed it, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I, I had two times today, it came up in yeah. conversations and actually, and I was working with middle school teachers, right? That's how far it's stretching. All right. So I feel like the first thing I want to do is just give my big takeaways from the, all the, all the episodes, my yeah. big takeaways and people who are listening, if they are probably going to be surprised by my takeaways, but the biggest takeaways for me were that we should never, ever FNP, if you want to say it, or do any sort of level text running record to emergent readers, right? Yeah. Doesn't mean we don't do them to anybody, but emergent readers, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, every ep I was like trying to think about the work that we do as I was listening to every episode, and it made so much sense, right? And it just validated that doing an FNP and giving a running record to a kindergartner who's learning their letters and sounds is not only not the right thing to do, but it's also not representing anything that you're teaching them. So what is it telling you, right? And so that really screamed to me that even, even teachers who are still really using um, benchmark running records, which, you know, that's fine. We'll talk about that in a second, but that's fine. But not to early emergent readers. We would only want to do it when kids have um, a decent amount of phonics that they can start decoding that that running record is going to actually tell you something right when they first when they have letters and sounds when they understand what a phoneme is when they then understand that these two phonemes make a blend when they can now say wow these letters together these sounds together these phonemes together are actually a syllable now i can start decoding wow i'm doing that without you telling me to do it without you guiding me and assisting me I'm ready for a running record because now you're going to check in on my fluency. You're going to work with me on my comprehension. There's so much more to it. When we're doing it at the early emergent stages, we're not checking on fluency. We're not checking on comprehension. There literally is no point besides seeing if kids have really good working memory. There are other things we can do to check in on that. That was takeaway number one for me. What do you think about that, Amber? I 100% agree. And so, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to play like the teacher voice in this. Okay. So what teachers have been asking me is without it, what do I do? How do I track? How do I communicate where they are in the reading progression without 
a level. I mean, and I feel like a lot of our teachers are really struggling with that now. Like, do I go by the phonics progression? How do I know if the phonics progression is the right progression? So they're really struggling with that. And I just wanted to get your opinion on what do you think is a good answer for that? I think you answered it. First of all, well, what you would go along and it's going to be different for every teacher or district because yeah, they're using yeah. different phonics programs, right? Yep. It would be whatever's in your phonics program. So like for one of our districts that use a Sunday, you're going to use your mastery checks. What I've taught into is what I'm measuring them against. And so what they're reporting on quarter one might look quite different than what, you know, someone in a different district who is using foundations is doing, right? Yeah. I would say that. I would also say if you're using um, fast bridge and then for kids that are on level, they're on level with all the phonics skills in FastBridge, you know, the first time around or the second time around. And then if they're progress monitoring, that's another indication. And then I would also say almost every district we work with, every district we work with uses Michael Haggerty. There's your phonemic awareness, right? And so you're paying attention to what they're doing. I actually had this really rich, great conversation with first grade teachers yesterday about their priority standard talks about, um, reading and using understanding and using syllables and they're like as first grade teachers we haven't taught that yet okay but you will it's a priority standard and you'll get there but syllables is connected to all the other skills right but it starts with letters and sounds and then gets into what's a phoneme right do they know individual phonemes when they hear a word then do they know blends now they can do syllables so I would say you pay attention to your phonics continuum based upon what you're reporting on, and that's what we're measuring. We need to support teachers, though, with having the right proficiency skills. Um, most teachers would think of those as rubrics to then say, how do I know at this time in the year based upon what I've taught into? Right, right. And that's what that has been my suggestion is just look at your phonics scope and sequence. If you are lucky enough to have decodables or if you're using pulling free decodables from somewhere, look at the progression of your phonics, align your decodables to that progression. And if they're reading through those decodables fluently or in a manner that you think they can move up to the next level, like I don't wanna say level, the next skill in the decodable, then they're where they need to be. If they're right where you're in, if they're right where you need to be in phonics. Yes. And I, you know what I think it also, we also need to help teachers understand too. And I, I think this has been aha for me just doing all the phonics research I've been doing is we just think about phonics as if they are a reader, but the standards always speak to them being a speller too. Yeah. And we just don't even pay attention to that. We only think about spelling inside of writing and then we care about it. But if I actually am picking up on what you're teaching me in phonics, I can't only read it, I can also spell it. If you're teaching me short A's, I can figure out how to read words that have short vowels in them. And I can also figure out how to spell words using those short vowels because you've taught that to me. If they're only doing it in this one way, I would say they don't really have it yet. Right, right. You know, if I didn't have a child that had been through these grade levels yet. I don't think I would understand it and I would have as much of an opinion on it. However, two weeks before this podcast came out, I had my son's conference, right? And um, I get his reading level and they they do a different system than, you know, what some of the systems that we use. And he's supposed to be at this level and he's a level behind. And at first it took me back and I was thinking, wait a second, 
he, his phonics comes home every day and he's rocking it. He can spell all these words. He can spell all these patterns when we're practicing them. He knows all of his sight words, you know? So I was going through, I'm like, he knows all of these things. But when I looked at what they were benchmarking him at, and he's in first grade, some of the words that he was missing that weren't getting him to that next level, he hasn't learned those patterns yet in phonics. And so it really made me think, holy cow, how many kids have we put in tiered intervention? How many kids have we told their parents that they're behind in reading because of a level when really those skills, they hadn't even been taught those skills yet. Like they shouldn't be mastering those levels because don't have the skills. And so I think it's the opposite, Amber, that it it also happened quite the opposite, which is what was going on in the, in the sold of story through those parents' perspective, right? You had that end of it. There were other parents that were being told their kids were readers when they actually were not. My daughter was, I was always being told she was a reader because she could, but then she literally could not spell those words or figure them out in any sort of setting. If it wasn't in a predictable text because yeah. she was really good working memory. And so yeah. she could remember it all the way through. But the second I just showed her that word in isolation, no idea. Yep. Right. So yeah, I think, I think that's takeaway number one, right? We, we know, we know better than that. We know, and we know that that might not be a opinion that people like that listen to this podcast, but what we know is best and what we believe in all of the research that we've done that's how we feel. Well, <laughs> and what I say to teachers is why would you want to give them something right. that isn't measuring what they've learned? Right. Why would you want that? Because then oftentimes teachers would feel bad. Like they're not, they don't, you know, they're, they're still a B and I feel like they've been, they've been doing so well. It's like, yeah, they've been doing so well in all the things you taught them, but you haven't taught them anything in there. So that's right. not even measuring. Yes. And know, what is a B? A lot of teachers don't even know what is a B. I mean, yeah, right. You know, right. Absolutely. <laughs> And then I think the next biggest takeaway that I had, I mean, there's a, there's a million of them. Um, We can be mad at anybody you want. I honestly think, you know, people are mad at Lucy Calkins right now, but I mean, really she's been a businesswoman. She admittedly said she didn't really know reading at all. She's still, some of her behaviors right now, I find a little appalling, like just, just own it sometimes, you know, but she, she's a businesswoman. She made a lot of money and she put out something that has honestly, still a lot of great in it. There's some good stuff in these materials. Yes. She also put out some stuff that wasn't so good, but she actually is revising them. I did see the updated second grades. Yes. Second grade ones yesterday. And she, whoever is around her, I don't think it's her. I think it's the people that are around her that know teaching and learning. The updates are really good in second grade. I haven't seen K and one, but she listened. So I appreciate that. But again, she's a businesswoman, right? She doesn't want to tank her world here. But my whole point in all that is I don't feel like we should go crazy and start throwing things out because we're going to be listening to another sold a story about something else uh, in the next in the next 10 years about people jumping on a new bandwagon and going crazy with that, where I feel like let's take the pieces that we feel like are good that are working and make them better. And let's take the pieces that maybe aren't working and fix them. But I don't think districts are going crazy by completely throwing out so much of what they invested in. And lots of teachers feel good about it or feel good about pieces of it. And then they're going to start all over. And man, Amber, 
that sound that seems like putting teachers who are already stressed in the most stressful time in their career. That would be insane. Yes. Yep. And I mean, I still and will always stand behind. I taught the units of study in third, fourth, and a little bit in second grade. And the things that my kids learned and did and the data that they produced was outstanding year after year after year. And however, now knowing more about the K through two units than the three through five units, I think there's some really great stuff in the three through five units. Um, And I see why my K through two colleagues were so frustrated with the K through two unit. So I get all of it now. Um, One of my really good friends um, who has taught the units with me, who hasn't always been a fan of the unit, she said something really that I liked the other day. And she was like, you know what? I listened to Solda's story. You know how I feel about the units, but the pendulum always swings. So right now everyone heard Solda's story and they want to swing right and they want to throw everything on the left out. However, we know because history repeats itself that some of that stuff that we've been doing the last five, 10 years is good stuff. So we, we got to take the good with the bad. We've got to pull out the bad and replace what we know. That doesn't mean full programs. It could mean lessons, right? Lessons within those programs. 100%. And I think that's the biggest piece, Amber, is that, and I think because we work in so many districts and I'm, we see curriculums, you know, swaps all the time, or they're looking at this or looking at that. And I'm telling you, and I will say this to anybody that I'll listen, there is not a silver bullet, right? There is not this golden treasure that we're looking for. Every program that you buy and use is not a curriculum, right? It's a resource that should go along with your curriculum. Everything has holes in it that you have to resource in a way and figure it out. What I feel like we should be doing um, in our role and what I've been saying to all the people that have listened to me lately, and this is why this podcast is here, is we should train teachers and teachers should get really good at understanding their standards and know those really well. And the district should have really good curriculums in place where the standards are scoped and sequenced. And then we take the resources and we plug them in. And then we look and say, where based upon our standards, our priority standards, and then the standards underneath of them, what's missing from this resource that we need to then plug in, what's really good, what needs to be plugged in. And we did that with phonics, right? In most districts. We've done that with phonemic awareness. Those were the big things that were missing in Lucy's units of study. Those have been fixed, right? If you're implementing them with, I hate the word fidelity, but let, literally fidelity, meaning like just do it every day and do it the way it was embedded. Right. Don't give a twist to it. Just do it the way it was designed. That if you're doing those things, and then as far as fluency and comprehension goes, you plug in where you feel like there are holes, but then really don't start from scratch. Teachers use the resources and then look at your standards and do what teachers do and be a teacher. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it it made me think of this. Um, when you, when you just talked about implementing a phonics, implementing, implementing a phonemic awareness, I think, and I think a lot of the teachers that we work with 
I think that I didn't have as strong as strong or an intense of an opinion at first because the district that I was in had people that recognized that we needed phonics and phonemic awareness as well. And so we always had those things. I think there was like maybe a year or two that we were in between phonics, but the teacher still did the old one. But other than that, the district that I was in always had those things. So when I'm listening to these districts on those, the, um, podcast that didn't have those things in place. I'm like, okay, I can see why their teachers are irate and their parents are irate. And it's, it's this huge, you know, thing because they didn't have those things. But I think a lot, you know, we're in Missouri, we work in some of the biggest, best districts in Missouri. And I think that they did have those things in place, which helps if they were using the units of study. Yeah. And, you know, I work with a district who was using Lucy's phonics and let's be honest, those suck. I mean, and Lucy knows they suck. It was an afterthought. She didn't know she needed them. And then she created them and she created them quickly. And I mean, I think anybody knows that Um, she wouldn't suggest anybody using those again, I wouldn't think, or any of the people around her. Right. But so replacing that is what a district would do if you're being responsive. Right. But as long as teachers really understand like the five components of reading and how important it is for us to teach those every single day. And we look at our resources to make sure that they're in there. And if they're not, we supplement. It's just like grammar and language, right? Doesn't show up pretty much in any resources unless you're using a basal, but we, we, we supplement and we teach it, right? Because we know we need to, there is not a silver bullet. And I just, I am not sitting here saying like, I love Lucy. And I'm not sitting here saying like, get rid of it. What I'm saying is nothing is ever going to be perfect. And we as teachers just need to know whatever state you're working in, you're accountable mostly to the standards of your grade level. And it's important for you to know the standards before your grade level and the standards after your grade level. So you can really scaffold in the way that you need to, and then lean on supports like us or instructional coaches in your buildings to get the resources that you need. If you feel like what you have isn't there. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I agree. Should they be pulling level readers for book bins? What should they have in their book bin? Um, Should they be doing guided reading? Because a lot of the podcast was on F and P's and, and she would, she would throw out the word guided reading, but she was really talking about like F and P benchmarks. So I think that maybe if we touch on that just a little bit, because I think that's, those are the questions that teachers are asking. No, those are big Amber. Okay. So two things, the book bins. And I've always said too, I always felt like putting your books in levels to me was too specific. Right. Right. And then it also, what you're doing is telling kids, you don't have access to any of these. Right. Right. So I, I've always thought the most thoughtful way to do it and the easiest way for a teacher and the best way for kids to find books, besides just going to that one level is putting them thematically together genre. I like doing it in my mind. If I was had a classroom right now, I would do it by theme. And so I would say, these are books on animals. The easiest books are always going to be in the front of the book, the box, and the hardest books are always going to be in the back. That's how I would do it. And then kids would be able to go and the, the, the choice I feel like is there better than putting it in levels. Yeah. Levels is basically telling kids you don't have access to any, everything that is in this library. Right. Right. So I think and that's an easy switch. I, I do too. And, um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Wiley Blevins, when you looked in his book, said like decodables in their book bin. If they're if they're at the level that they can read a decodable, decodables in their book bin, a leveled book in their book bin, and then also a book that they can't access that maybe is too hard, 
but they can still read from, you know, right. They can tell stories. They can work on oral language. They can do, isn't correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't he say like those three types of book were recommended in younger. He said a variety of text is essential. And he said, emergent readers need at least access to three types of texts all the time. And they would need decodables that they can actually read if they are ready for that. Right. Right. Decodables, um, leveled text of some sort. Um, if I'm a pre-emergent reader, the decodables would be text that I can't quite read yet, but I can look at it and, and notice high frequency words. But then maybe I have, um, maybe I actually do have like a pattern book, um, in mind mm-hmm. because that's, that's my first attempt at being a reader. And I'm going to practice more of like my print concepts. I'm going to practice more, um, you know, touching all the words and doing that one-to-one correspondence. I'm going to notice high frequency words or power words, um, right? I'm going to make sense of that and then trade books because we want to give them access to literature that we're reading in class that they're like, oh, my mom read me this book yeah. and they can tell the story and then they're kind of immersed in all this literature. But we're teaching at the early emergent stages with decodables because right. that's what they need. We're not going to sit with an A book and teach them how to memorize this book, right? We're going to not do that anymore because that doesn't make sense. Maybe pre-emergent readers, they might, I might send them off with a book to say, hey, notice that the high frequency words are in this book, but I'm not going to sit there and teach that book to them. It just doesn't make sense. It's not what they're ready for. Now, as far as guided reading goes, what happened with Sold a Story where people are going crazy about wanting to throw out their guided reading stuff was because they mentioned um, Fontes and Pinnell's LLI kits, which are a level guided reading. Most school, a lot of schools use it as, as an intervention, which we need to stop doing that right now because it's not an intervention. Mm-hmm. It's a guided reading library and resource. So you can use that if you feel like it's a good resource, I think. I think this is where teachers have to use that judgment. Are we using it for the pre-emergent readers? No, it's not what they need, right? They need decodables. Once kids have a level of phonics, then we're going to then give them level text. And why level text would still be something you would use is because I don't want to sit and do a small group reading lesson with a, a text that's like a J level that's you know chapter book style. If they're just in a book that's more like a G, which is you know a paragraph on each page, not as much text, not as much vocabulary that they're not ready for, not as many syllable types that they have to decode. So the books are leveled in that way because it gets harder. And so that still makes sense in my mind to use. If you wouldn't use that, what else would you use? Right, right. I agree. I agree. I don't think you throw it all out, right? No, no. Because what's going to happen, you're going to throw it all out. And five years from now, you're going to be buying it all again (laughs) because it's going to come back around. I mean, literally, I just want teachers to all take a deep breath. I actually had a teacher cry, a really good teacher, a teacher that anybody would want their kid to sit in her class, literally, you know, and she's actually a new teacher that I'm working with this year, but I mean, she just cares that much and you know it and you feel it. She felt like she has hurt kids along the way because she was doing all the things that were mentioned in there. And I thought, right. You're also doing so many of the right things too, right? Yeah. You were doing at that time what you thought was best. And I can guarantee you because you did all the other things too, 
those kids were readers because of you. You didn't just do that one thing, right? The leveled book, that wasn't the only thing you did. You did all these other things. You taught phonics, you taught. And I'm asking this and she's like, yes, I did that too. It's like, see, you did those things. Right, right. When you hear that, it made people feel bad about themselves. So what I have to say about Soda's story is I feel like at first I was like, oh, this is good. To your point, like at first we were like, wow. And then by the end, I thought, you know what? Shame on you, man, because now it's making people feel like they've done something wrong and they haven't. Yes. And, you know, I had someone not to discredit any of the research, you know, um, that was done for this podcast or anything like that, but it's the same thing that we've talked about. Like this woman is an investigative journalist, right? She had an opinion and she ran with it and her research surrounded it. And any person that she's going to interview, right, is going to be geared toward her opinion. We could probably have a whole nother podcast, the total opposite opinion, right? Same thing when we read articles on Facebook, same thing when, you know, people share things with us from the internet, like we have to look at all sides. And, um, I would, I, I was, one of them that was like, oh my gosh, I have defended this program for years and years and years. And at first I was like, oh my God. Like I had to like take a big swallow and be like, what do I need to reevaluate? But then the more that I listened, I really understood. And the more I thought about all the things that we've done in classrooms, we literacy link has always believed in all of these things. So Luckily, our beliefs align with the science of reading and what we know is best. Um, no, you're right, Amber. But- Since I started my company 14 years ago, I have taught teachers about the five components of reading. Since I'll never forget, that was the first PD I ever did. And it was in the Hazel or it was in Confluence, but then the Hazelwood School District. And it was on the five components of reading, like ensuring yeah. teachers understood that at that time you know, it was named balanced literacy, but I know for sure I was doing comprehensive literacy because shared reading has always been a part of my work and a gradual release. I do it, we do it, you do it, which isn't balanced literacy. That was just the name everyone was calling it. And I thought, I guess that's the name I'm supposed to call this, but that's not what we were doing. We've always been doing comprehensive literacy in a gradual release model, always. No, the units of study are not set up in an I do, we do, you do. It's, It's set up more in an I'm doing it, now you're doing it. Her update for second grade, shared readings right in the middle of it, right? She must have listened to all of our podcasts. And I know she listens to us all the time. (laughs) I know she does. I know she does. And so she revised because of that. (laughs) I love that shared readings in the new units because that is such a piece that's always so teachers do it, but they don't know that they're doing it. And Or if they're not doing it, they're confused about where it goes. So I think that's such a good, thoughtful piece that she put those into that. We've only seen second grade in the second grade units. I think the last thing I want to say, and this literally has nothing to do with soul. Well, I guess maybe it does have to do with soul story, but I had to start thinking, Amber, like what, if I was teaching right now in a classroom, what would be the two most important things that I would make sure that I do every single, actually, I would say three important things that I would do every day, no matter what. So even if there's the turkey trot in the middle of my reading lesson, or there's like, you know, a hundred parents coming for Thanksgiving lunch or whatever, you know, teachers, or 
gosh, a fire drill, a tornado drill. Every time I'm out of school, I'm like doing a drill. I'm like, what the heck? It's <laughs> like getting overboard, right? But I know they have to do it. But if that was the case and there were three things that I would do every day, I would make sure for sure. And this is just for literacy. I know that there's math things, but we don't talk about math on here right, right now. But <laughs> I would make sure that I did phonics every single day, every day. That's systematic. We do it every single day. Even if it's not a reteach, it's a review every single day. I would yep. every single day do a shared reading. Why? Because shared reading hits the five components every single day, right? Mm -hmm. um, you, you are practicing phonics as a reader, right? Decoding. You are obviously also applying your phonemic awareness as you're reading. You're practicing your fluency. You're learning new vocabulary or experiencing it through your reading. And then there's the comprehension piece, five components every day. And it's a grade level text. So every day I can ensure my kids have read grade level text on their own with my support, of course, or if they need it every single day. That's a guarantee. And then the last thing would be is making sure that they get an opportunity to write in some way, whether it's a one write, a quick write, anything. But we have to build their ability to write every single day. We won't get them to be really good writers if if we don't have them practice every day, right? Those would be the three things that every day. Every day, every day. I can't tell you how many times when I taught writing, I would say writers make better readers and readers make better writers. I told them that all the time, all the time. And I go into so many schools that they alternate units and I'm like, no, they have to write every day. They have to write every single day. Yeah. So so those are our opinions. I know that there's, there are a lot, but we're a lot. I mean, you know, <laughs> I say that at schools, I'm like, I know I'm a lot. And people are like, <laughs> you can see the look on their face where they're like, yeah, no shit lady. Like everybody knows you're a lot. We know, <laughs> but I'm still passionate about how I feel. And I just want teachers to know that if you're feeling any sort of way about sold a story, don't because, you know, the, you know, we know better, we do better. And all we can do from here is just think about, well, what are the things that we're maybe missing? You know, what are, which of the five components am I not doing as much that I need to do every day to make sure that their reading experience is well-rounded every day? Yep. If you are feeling a certain way, no matter what direction it is, it means you care. And that's really all that anybody can ask for is if you care and you're trying to do better, then you're doing the right thing. Yeah. So all I know, teachers, if you're wishing that the units are getting thrown out, if you're using those, just be careful what you wish for. Grass is not always greener. You're going to have to learn something new. So I'm just saying, if your district isn't thinking about it, just be happy that you're just kind of hanging out right now because you have autonomy to like make the choices to do the right thing because of what's going on right now, right? You can always back it with, well, the science says, and who's going to yeah. disagree with that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks for staying with us. This was a long one, but this was an important one. So um, we look forward to, we're going to try and do one more, I'm sure, before Christmas break. Right, Amber? We can do yes, it? Yes, we are. We are. We're so sorry we haven't been doing it. We apologize and we feel guilty every week, but gosh, we're like crawling to our beds at night. Oh, or something. So we're trying, we're trying. All right. Well, thanks, teachers.